Welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Dusty White, and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune of Corndale Church and Pastor Chris Hellman of First City Church. And on Wednesdays, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. Today, we're talking about the question, should Christians observe Lent? Happy Valentine's Day and happy Ash Wednesday. Most romantic Ash Wednesday (laughs) ever. (laughs) I I think it's fitting that those two days come together in the sense of Christ's love for us and also our mortality coming together in one day. So, do you think there's like a candy heart? You know those little candy hearts that just says you're gonna die. Ash, <laughs> you're gonna die. <laughs> Remember your mortality. There's a listener named Jonathan at Quorum Deo who listens to this podcast, and he mocked me at church a few weeks ago and called this podcast "Snack Time with Bob and Friends." Whoa! Wow! And I was like, "Hey, man, well, for real? That's what you're gonna call it?" He's like, "Yeah, you guys are always talking about snacks for like the first five minutes of the podcast." Well, send some then, you know. <laughs> so that's what I said, Jonathan. You haven't gotten us any snacks, so you don't have a right to mock the podcast, you know. But we do. We spend some time talking about. Occasionally, we want to we want to give credit where credit is due to listeners who provide us snacks, which is no one today. So here we are. It's appropriate that we start this season of fasting by yeah, it, it kind of fits from snacks on the Wednesday conversation. I thought it would be good to talk about this topic because it is a perpetual question every year, meaning uh, there are many churches that um, sort of observe Lent in some meaningful way this time of year. And there are always critics of that who say, hey, that that's a Catholic practice or that, that practice should not be observed um, in, in churches that are centered on the gospel um, or that are reformed in nature because they think it has connections to sort of Catholicism's focus on penitence and those kinds of things. So this is one of those questions that we perpetually get, and, and we thought, well, we'll just devote a, a topic or a podcast um, episode to talking about that question, should Christians observe Lent? And I think there's some differences around the table in terms of how we would want it to be observed and practiced. And so um, let's just start with just the question. Chris, should Christians observe Lent? Sorry, we're using the word should. That's like in a... No. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, bo- I'm boxing you into it. We don't want to moralize it. <laughs> I'm using the word should here, not in a moral sense of like, if you don't observe Lent, you're a sinner. I'm just saying like, is this a wise practice or not? Yeah, yeah. No, I I think so. I think it's a, it's a good practice. It's a helpful practice. And I would encourage Christians to definitely lean into the season. But you have some boundaries. We'll talk about I, them in a minute. Yeah. Dusty, should Christians observe Lent? Yes, we should observe it. Wow. And uh, I would say, because I became a Christian in the 90s in a big church, you know, a big evangelical church, and then my mom was Catholic, my mom's family was Catholic, I didn't know that we should be. Yeah. And so uh, I had to do a, a lot of reflecting and learning um, to kind of welcome the Lenten season and really particularly any church calendar season into my life. Mm-hmm. I enjoy, uh, my answer to the question, should Christians observe Lent is, yeah, you should, not in a moralistic way, not in a way that says if you don't, there's something wrong with you, but just in a way that says, I think this is a good practice. I realize there are people out there who disagree. Um, I think my my concern or my um, appreciation for this is that actually the roots of Lent go back to the third and fourth century. So it goes back to the era where there was no Roman Catholic church in the yeah. way we experience it now, but back to a very early history in the church. And of course, like anything, there are pros and cons to it. There are ways that people turned it into things it shouldn't be. Um, but I want to read, I thought I would read from 
the worship source book, just their sort of explanation of both Ash Wednesday and Lent, so that you can hear a Protestant, convictionally Calvinist uh, perspective on why the season of Lent and Ash Wednesday are meaningful for Bible-believing, gospel-loving Protestant Christians. If you don't have, if you're not familiar with the worship source book, and you are a church leader, repent and become familiar with the worship <laughs> yes. source book. Strong job. Buy your worship leader a copy and this read is, it with him. This is put out by the Calvin Institute for Christian Worship um, at uh, Calvin University or Calvin College, whatever. John Whitfleet was the director there for years, and it's just a good sort of compendium of worship resources for churches that are operating in the historic Reformed Protestant tradition. Let me read to you a few paragraphs here. Ash Wednesday is the first day of Lent. By the 4th century, the Western Church determined that the Lenten period of fasting and renewal should correspond to Christ's 40-day fast, Matthew 4, verse 2. And by counting 40 days back from Easter, excluding Sundays, which remain feast days, the Church arrived at the Wednesday seven weeks before Easter. At one time, Lent was primarily viewed as a period during which converts prepared for baptism on Easter Sunday. But later, the season became a general time of penitence and renewal for all Christians. Thus, Ash Wednesday became the day that marked the beginning of the Lenten renewal. The aim of Ash Wednesday worship is threefold, to meditate on our mortality, sinfulness, and need of a Savior, to renew our commitment to daily repentance in the Lenten season and in all of life, and to remember with confidence and gratitude that Christ has conquered death and sin. Ash Wednesday worship, then, is filled with gospel truth. It is a witness to the power and beauty of our union with Christ and to the daily dying and rising with Christ that this entails. Now it's going to talk about the imposition of ashes, which is the, the sort of most challenging part oh, for some yeah. people. I got some questions for you guys on that. The imposition of ashes is often a central part of the worship service. Ashes have a long history in biblical and church traditions. In scripture, ashes or dust symbolize the frailty of death, Genesis 18.27, sadness or mourning, Esther 4.3, judgment, Lamentations 3.16, and repentance, Jonah 3, verse 6. In Christ's passion, we see God's judgment on evil. In our penitence, we express sorrow and repentance for our sins. In our rededication, we show that we are purified and renewed. The ashes are often mixed with a little water and carried in a small dish. The leader dips a finger in moist ash and makes the cross on each person's forehead, saying words such as, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return, or consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. In some contexts, the imposition of ashes may be a barrier to thoughtful Lenten worship because of its newness, or because it may be misunderstood. Most important is that worshipers rend their hearts, Joel 2 verse 13. Decisions about whether or how to practice the imposition of ashes should always take into account that the service should build up the body of Christ. Before we go any further, didn't you guys like burn people's heads one year? <laughs> wow. <laughs> your ashes were, were yeah. too ashy. We, we call that rash Wednesday. Rash Wednesday. You're asking yes. about rash Wednesday. Yes. Here's what happened. Uh, we had been doing this an ash Wednesday service for probably a decade. We always now the sort of like <laughs> the real, the like, you know, OG way to do ash Wednesday is you take the, you burn the palms from the previous year's Palm Sunday. And that's the ashes you use. And like, the, there's like a deep cut, like theology underneath that, which is like that way we're saying that this is not merely a sign of judgment, but it's a sign of the hope of Christ coming. So there's, you know, 
the people who are like super into like, we got to do this the right way are like, well, let's get the palms from Palm Sunday last year and let's burn them up. What we do at Quorum Day is we just take ash out of my fireplace at home and, and we use it for Ash Wednesday because it's, <laughs> okay. you know, it's burned wood. It's, uh, it's from our friend Corey Werbein's uh, firewood pile. So that's what I do is I, I, I get ash out of my fireplace. And here's what I learned the hard way. There was a year where we had an Ash Wednesday service in the morning, like before work, and then one in the evening. And so we mixed the ash and water and oil together in the morning, used it for the morning service, and then just let it sit there all day. And the bad news is when you do that, ash is actually a very acidic substance when it mixes with water. And so it turns into this very mm, corrosive compound. (laughs) (laughs) So the people who came to the evening service that year, you know, we like put the mark of the cross in their forehead and like, you know, about 10 minutes later, people are kind of like itching their foreheads. Like this doesn't feel (laughs) so good. Pulling it off. And then literally we realized like somebody came to work the next day with like a red mark of a cross burned into their forehead. <laughs> Permanent. They were like, hey, I think, I don't think this is how this is supposed to look. And I was like, I did some research online. I was like, oh yeah, definitely don't leave the ashes sitting in water for multiple hours. That's not smart. I think, Chemistry class. I think we had a couple that. of people from First City attend that and- they still <laughs> to this day yeah. they, rash. <laughs> to this day they're scarred hey, by that you know, like sometimes you just need a tattoo of a cross on your forehead for apparently it became a serious aspect of mourning and penitence that year yeah so i apologize to all who attended quorum day Ash <laughs> wednesday service in 2015 or whatever year that was it was uh memorable to say the least my bad uh, i had to had to apologize broadly for failing to be a good steward of the ashes Here's the section from the worship source book on Lent. Uh, the practice of a 40-day preparation period began in the Christian church during the 3rd and 4th centuries. The number 40 carries biblical significance based on the 40 years Israel spent in the wilderness and Jesus' 40-day fast in the wilderness. The 40 days of Lent begin on Ash Wednesday and continue through Holy Week, not counting Sundays. Sundays are not a fast day, they are a feast day. In practice, many congregations choose to focus Sunday worship on the themes of repentance and renewal. As a period of preparation, Lent has historically included the instruction of persons for baptism and profession of faith on Easter Sunday, the calling back of those who have become estranged from the church, and the efforts by all Christians to deepen their piety, devotion, and readiness to mark the death and resurrection of their Savior. Their traditional color for the season of Lent is purple, some congregations choose to highlight the contrast between Lent and Easter. Other congregations stress that all the Sundays of Lent are little Easter's and thus may appropriately feature Easter-like praise. So there's sort of a, a broad perspective on how Ash Wednesday and the Lenten season kind of came into existence in the church. Obviously, these are not, when we use the title should in the title of this podcast, these are not biblical observances. The, what the Bible requires, as Joel, thir- Joel 2.13 mentions, is rend your hearts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be repentant before the Lord. Yeah. The idea of devoting a specific season in the calendar to that is obviously a practice the church did a long time ago, but it's not required. There's nothing that would say we should or shouldn't do this, morally speaking. Um, I have been really blessed by it because it connects us, I think, to sort of the historic practice of the church. I was just reading the other day a book on the history of the Reformation, and they were talking about as the Reformation began to move through some of the countries in Europe, and especially in Switzerland and where Ulrich Zwingli was, and um, 
in Zurich, where Zwingli was a pastor, it was on Ash Wednesday of the year 1522, I think, or 1523, that he decided for the first time not to say the Mass in Latin. And it was like a, a, a momentous thing, you know? So what I like is there is a connection to this season in the life of the church has historically been an important season. And even as Protestants, there are ways that what reform looked like in the season of Lent is meaningful for our history, not just for the broader history of the church. So I have personally benefited a lot from sort of recapturing and recovering some of those emphases that, like you were saying, Dusty, in my childhood growing up, we didn't follow the church calendar and, you know, it wasn't a big deal in the sort of worship practices of the church. But um, I've found it to be really useful and helpful. For me personally, it's really good to have a devoted season to contrition, mm-hmm. repentance, fasting. And even at the time of that we're recording this, probably for the last week to 10 days, there's a sense of uh, spiritual renewal happening in me where I like, uh, over the last couple of days, I've <laughs> like, I wake up repenting and that's new. Uh, there's something new going on. And so I'm looking forward to this Lenten season in a new way. Um, whereas in the past, you know, it's been good and there's been some rich seasons of Lent and then there's been some just like, well, yeah, this is what we do kind of seasons of Lent. And then I would just say pastorally, we've had some very significant stories of people saying, man, that Ash Wednesday service ignited me spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to you guys, both the personal level and think of our church that we viewed. So like Lent and even Advent. So these distinct seasons in the church calendar as an opportunity to lean into certain spiritual practices. And what I love is, you know, we talk about spiritual disciplines and always wanting to grow in those, but it gives us an opportunity not to just sort of like randomly like say, Hey, we want to devote time to prayer and confession, which is great, but actually tying it and connecting it to deep tradition and times within the church, sort of like a steady rhythm each year where we know, Hey, these are times where we are going to devote particular attention to things like fasting and confession and prayer and uh, generosity and, and longing and anticipation and, and Advent. So what we have come to appreciate as a church, just that we know every year we're going to kind of go through these rhythms and, and emphasize these spiritual disciplines and grow in them. So we never have to wonder, hey, are we ever going to talk about prayer or emphasize prayer during the year? It's like, no, we actually know. And we're, we're anticipating that season when we're going to lean into that. And as a church, the things that we're going to do. So it it creates, I think, a groundedness uh, and, and, a, and a sort of leverage for uh, discipleship in particular spiritual disciplines. We are formed by what we repeatedly do. And so though the church calendar is, you know, again, not a mandated practice, I think the beauty of it is it does, as we do the same things over time, as the year sort of has a pattern to it, it does form our souls. Mm-hmm. And so like you were saying, Dusty, there's a sense of looking forward to some of the, the Lenten practices. Like you're saying, Chris, there's a way of building things the church should emphasize anyway into those seasons in a way that people can look forward to and go, oh yeah, this season of the year, you know, we're all like in Advent, we're always going to talk about already not yet. We're always yeah. going to talk about anticipation. We're always, it's a chance to sort of lean into hope, you know, and likewise in Lent, man, it's always going to be about confession, repentance, renewal, um, there is a beauty in just the way that shapes your soul over time to expect yeah. and to look yeah. forward to those particular seasons. Yeah. If you come to an Ash Wednesday service at Quorum Deo, we are going to make the mark of the cross on your forehead in Ash. Chris, you're not going to do that. Tell us why. No, 
uh, this is kind of a running joke, uh, at first city. Cause you know, planting out of Coram Deo, uh, most of our staff <laughs> came from Coram Deo. Uh, so there, there's this, why, why aren't we doing Ash Wednesday? And, and here again, this is a personal thing for me. I, I kind of, you know, pull my lead pastor prerogative once in a while, pull that wow. card once in a while. Yeah. This is one of those things just like intinction. We weren't going to do intinction with, <laughs> with, uh, the Lord's supper. But for me, anyway, the imposition of ashes, the mechanics of it feel too similar to a sacrament. Mm. I know you're, you know, you're not, you know, saying it's a sacrament. Even the Catholic church doesn't say it's a sacrament, but it, it just so closely mimics it that I just, ah, I don't love it. Yeah. So you just have a service of prayer. People come. Yeah. Worship, prayer, confession. We basically yeah. do everything but yeah. that. So. I, I like that. And I, I like what you said about like, hey, actually there's freedom here for churches yeah. to, yeah to do practices differently. Because again, none of this, there's nothing, there's no verse in scripture that says make the sign of the cross on your forehead with an ash. You know that right. there's references to ash reflecting, you know, a sense of, of repentance. But I, I love the freedom you're describing there, Chris, even in churches that share deep theological affinity to say like, yeah, our practice is a little different because of how we see that playing out or what we feel like it's forming. In people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, you know, a hardcore, you know, truly reformed guy that's going to like come down on people who, pra- I, I see the beauty and I see why. Um, but at the same time, I'm just like, yeah, that's not, that's that particular piece we're not going to do. But you know, if, if that has been something that has worked well and it has at Corn Day, I'm just like, go for it. Do you, are there the hardcore reformed guys that come down and say like, you shouldn't do any of it? I think there are. I just, yeah. you've been in seminary more recently yeah, than I have. I, I have, I, I haven't experienced that at first city. I think there's, there's certainly people who have either come out of the Catholic church or, or more uh, traditional kind of mainline Protestant where they, they're kind of aware of it, but they never really like stopped and thought what it, what is it about? Or we get the people who come out of the more broad, broadly evangelical church that are like, what is Lent? Why are we doing it? And not in a, like a defensive or combative way, just more like, I don't even know what this is. So when we started last year, uh, we do a sort of what is Lent info mm. meeting, uh, the, the Sunday, <laughs> That's great. So Town we'll hall. It, yeah, this, this coming Sunday after the service. And we had about 30 people show up last year. And so it just kind of a helpful way to set the stage for what it is. Cause what we have found is Advent, like everyone's all in with Advent. It's very kind of an easy season to kind of get people into Lent feels a little bit stranger in some ways, a little more foreign. So we're, we're trying to just slowly bring people along. So, th- so that's been helpful. That's a really good idea, Chris. Just help it. You're, you're exactly right that people who have been formed in a more sort of broadly evangelical context, Lent, they're skeptical of Lent. It yeah. feels like this yeah. is something, this feels very Catholic. Yeah. It's, I, we didn't do this in my church. And so inviting them to sort of understand the season and the reasons for it is helpful. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read here from the Book of Common Prayer just to set up uh, my comment here. Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of the season of Lent a time of penitence, fasting, and prayer in preparation for the great feast of the resurrection. Throughout the Old Testament, ashes are used as a sign of sorrow and repentance, and Christians have traditionally used ashes to indicate sorrow for our own sin and as a reminder that the wages of sin is death. Parentheses there, Romans 6.23. Like Adam and Eve, we have disobeyed and rebelled against God and are under the same judgment. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Genesis 3. But as we are marked with ashes in the same manner that we were signed with the cross and baptism, we are also reminded of the life we share in Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And it is this sure hope that we begin the journey of these 40 days. One of the things that I like about Ash Wednesday recently is the fact that it I'm doing something with my body. There's a, a physical presence to Ash Wednesday. 
So there's theology involved, obviously, but also I just think Christians are, we've gotten kind of weird about the body. Mm. Lately, mm-hmm. there's been some good writing on the body, like especially over the last probably two to three years, uh, our camp has written about the body and that's been good. Um, but I just think it's, it's to do something with our body that we don't normally do. And I think there's just some good in that. Yeah. And there is a, it, it is an interesting, as I think about how that service works at Quorum Deo, it is a, is a unique moment when you're looking around the room and everybody else has an ashen cross on their forehead. It, it's there, it's sort of sobering to realize like, oh, we're all saying here that like we're going to die and we're under the curse of death because of Adam and Eve's rebellion. And there's a promise that God has made in Christ to overcome death, but it's going to involve the cross and it's going to involve his judgment on Good Friday. And so there is a, a real, there's a tangibleness. There is a bodiliness that this, this kind of worship service really leans into that I find really beautiful. All right. So what kinds of practices are, uh, you know, Chris, you mentioned that there's ways you've built, you know, prayer rhythms in your church around these seasons. What practices are appropriate for Lent? What kinds of things are like, what does the Lenten season give itself to, you know, for Christian worship and, and for churches to sort of think about practices? Yeah, we've mentioned I mean, prayer. We've mentioned confession. We also lean into fasting as a church. So we take, we invite folks uh, to fast on Thursdays and we do a, uh, a short prayer gathering over lunch from like 12 to 1230. Hey, come to the church office, pray uh, as you're fasting that day. So, so that's again, a, a practice that we're both trying to encourage people to do individually, but also find some corporate space for that and for people who are doing it to gather. So by the way, congrats to First City. You guys are property owners. Now. We are. When you say come to the church office, you mean yep. come to the building. Come to our purchased. building. Yes, wow. yes. We, as of the uh, first week of February, we are property owners. Beautiful. It's amazing, man. Praise the Lord. Yeah, we're excited. Okay, so the how does, how do, how does the uptake on the fasting, like how do you find that people appreciate that or don't appreciate that? I think that's a, you know, there's a, just an, a, it's not very American to just fast for spiritual reasons. People do it all the time to like lose weight or get ready for <laughs> yeah, marathon yeah, or whatever, yeah. but like, you know. Yeah, I'm going to fast by going to the gym. Yeah, and I think <laughs> this is this is one of the reasons why some of the practices of Lent are harder to enter into because it it's all focused on a denial of ourselves, mm. and, and that just requires a lot more uh, purposefulness and, and discomfort. So, so we, we have tried to one encourage by, by giving sort of a theological vision for fasting, what it is and what it isn't. I preached on it a couple of years ago, so we'll send that sermon out, but then give some resources. Uh, John Piper's book on fasting is really good. Uh, there are a few others that just talk about what we're after, like at the heart level of fasting, but then also make it accessible. So it's like, Hey, don't fast for three days straight. Hey, just start from, maybe you fast from like 8 a.m. to like one, just, you know, fast the first two meals of the day or, you know, the, the back half of the day. So we're, we're trying to just give handholds and, and give ex- a, a level of practice that doesn't feel overwhelming uh, all at once, but also put you in touch with what the spiritual discipline actually is. And to say a little bit more there, like, why would I fast? Like, what's the purpose of going without? Yeah. So fasting at its, at its core is to, to put you in touch with this sense of one, I am not dependent upon this thing. So man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So I'm not sustained ultimately by food. And when you deny yourself, you start to realize how dependent you've become. And we think about food. Well, yeah, I'm dependent on food to stay alive, but actually how often do we run to food for comfort? Uh, How often do we overindulge? Like we start to see the ways we use good things in unhealthy ways. So it, 
it, it's not only do I have to lean into the to the uh, place of dependence on the Lord more, I all it also opens up the door for more places of repentance. Yeah, that's good. I, I almost regret asking because I started getting convicted during your answer. Well, I remember one of our elders years ago saying that Lent had helped him see. He was like, "It's not that I'm a glutton, but I do." I, I realize as American that like whatever taste I have during the day, I just indulge it. So yeah. like if I want Chinese for lunch, I'm going to go get some Chinese. And if I want ice cream in the afternoon, I'm going to go get some ice. Like it's just, he just was aware of how much his immediate, his ability to sort of like give himself whatever sort of yeah. he was craving had really made his whole life very comfortable. And he's like, and actually during Lent, I just became aware of like how many weird cravings I have during the day. Like I want to eat some licorice right now. It's just like a weird, you know, it's just like we just live in a world where you can indulge all of that if you want to. And just dialing back even in a simple way to say, I'm going to skip a meal a day or I'm going to, you know, we, when my kids were little, we always did bread night during Lent, which was literally, we would just have bread for dinner. Now it was always like, I would get creative about like, I would go buy good bread. You know, it was just like, that's literally all we're having. We're not having meat. We're not having vegetables. We're just having bread. Cause it was, it was a way of saying like, we can get by on less. Yeah. Like no one's going to yeah. die if we don't have chicken for dinner. You know? Did you do that every night? No, no, no. It was one night a week during okay. Lent. One yeah. night a week. Um, but just during, so it was cool. Cause I was trying to mark for my kids. Like here's something as a family that we do different during this yeah. season that yeah. just sort of like helps them enter into, Oh yeah. Lent is a time for withdrawal. It's a time for sort of simplicity it's a time for fasting and stepping back from things we normally would do. And this goes back again to the the beauty of leaning into tradition of church calendar is it gives the occasion for these kinds of practices that aren't just sort of random, but also corporate. So, you know, I need to lean into fasting to, to be in touch with some of those areas where I'm just indulging, but I'm not just deciding this by myself kind of as a Christian, as a member of a church, I'm actually doing this with my church and others are doing it as well. So it, it creates a communal aspect of this too. And we're, we're dialoguing, we're praying for each other. We're talking about it. So I love the fact that it, 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 it's not, an, these practices are good and you should do these maybe even outside of the church calendar, but you're not doing them isolated when you're doing them in particular seasons. One of my favorite sermon series we did as a church, probably 15 years ago, we did Lamentations and it was a five or six week series. It was just during Lent. So it was literally from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. And it was early in the life of our church. So the church was very young. Many people were coming out of sort of mainstream evangelical kinds of Christianity. And also we had a bunch of, you know, former Catholics. So it was like you had these evangelicals and then these Catholics. But the Lamentations series, I just remember like we every we went super dark. So like all the colors <laughs> were dark. We turned down the lights in the room. Everything felt real heavy. And I we just sort of went all in on like, hey, let's just like, go as sort of like heavy and dark as we can during Lent. And it was amazing to me how just that, just this, the sermon topics, the sort of environment of the room combined with the fact that it's February and it's usually cold in Omaha, Nebraska and, you know, not summery. People really just like engage with Lamentations in a way that's like, dude, this book is heavy. And then I remember Easter Sunday being really fun because it was like, finally we can like celebrate and get out of this season of, you know, that's, that's very sort of like somber. And so it gave our Easter that you're just a really vibrant, it just felt mm-hmm. really fun to say like, Hey, that's the good news is Christ is risen from the dead. And so like all that darkness has an end to it. Um, but I remember that season just being really powerful because we, as a young church, we were just trying to do what, what are all the things we can do just to make this feel sort of weighty for people in an inappropriate way. 
Chris, a moment ago, you were mentioning how you did this, like this post-church meeting on Lent mm-hmm. and uh, 30 people attended or something like that. Um, for listeners who their church isn't practicing Lent or Ash Wednesday or any of this particular season of the church calendar, what encouragements do you have if they do want to start it? Yeah, I would start simple. Always want to start simple on anything that's newer. So don't feel like you have to, you know, again, fast for, you know, three days straight or, Hey, I'm going to pray for two hours a day or, you know, black it, black out all the wind, you know, the windows in my house and make everything <laughs> overly dark. Wow. Uh, just start simple. I think there, there are a number of good resources and maybe you guys have some off the cuff where just a, a good Lent liturgy or, or maybe a devotional that kind of walks you through some prayers for the day. Uh, journey some, to the cross by Will Walker. Journey to the cross by Will Walker. There you go. Uh, so focusing just your, your mind and heart on particular practice. So confession, prayer, uh, I would encourage you. Yeah. Pick a day and, and fast like part of the day or fast a meal, but, but start with just some simple, I mean, these are simple Christian practices and, and just go from there, give it a try, see what the Lord does and, and then kind of take a step back and evaluate, Hey, what did I learn and what could I potentially do? How I could add to that, uh, next year. But my, my encouragement is always going to be start simple. My friend Will Walker used to always say Lent is a season of giving up and taking up. And so, the, you know, seeing those together, of what is it, what am I going to give up? That's what the Catholic tradition has done well, you know, no, no meat during Lent and su- such in ways that have become kind of legalistic for most people. But what, what, what might you be able to give up in terms of abstaining from practices that aren't sinful, but that might just be comfortable? And then what are you going to take up? So to use your example, Chris, like fasting is giving up food and taking up prayer, showing up at your prayer meeting, you know, on Thursdays at noon is taking up a new rhythm that I wouldn't do every, every week of the year, but that during Lent, I'm going to give myself to that practice. And I thought that was a helpful way to think about, you know, what am I giving up? What am I taking up? Um, how, how can Lent be a season both of pulling back in certain ways and of stepping into new disciplines and other things? The goal of this podcast is to equip our own churches for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in and we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We always love to hear from listeners. So if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. Conversation.